0: The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the kind support of Arturia, Avid, Source Elements, and RSBE Audio Solutions.
1: Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. I'm Julian Rodgers, and in this week's edition, I'm joined by Ashaya and Ari Modi. We're going to be discussing studio roles, um, terminology, definitions, things change all the time, have they changed? That's pretty much what we're talking about today. Mm. Um, so, first off, um, Ari, um, introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Uh, hey, thank you for having me, first and foremost. Um, I'm Ari. I am a sound engineer. I work at Strongroom and recently joined Rack Studios as well. And then I'm a front of house for Picture Parlour and I'm also a mentor for Subfront Records where I train uh, up and coming sound engineers to requalify educational spaces. Uh, so I mainly work for uh, queer people. And then, yeah, as I said at the beginning, I'm a sound engineer. Fantastic.
1: Um okay so i mean uh strong room wonderful place i've i've mm. visited and uh, yeah uh what is what's what's your role can we dig into kind of the detail of what you what you what you do there the main things that you might do um have you witnessed any changes in kind of roles and definitions and division of labor shall we say in, in the time that you've been there
2: So division of labor, I mean, everyone has um, um, a role that is defined by their experience and what they like mainly. Um, As I mentioned at the beginning, I'm at the moment, I'm working two studios. So both Rack Studios and Strongroom Studios, which has like a completely different kind of like approaching uh, clients. So um, Strongroom, they mainly work with up and coming artists. And as I mentioned, everyone has... Um, role and sessions according to their experience there's not really like a hierarchy around that Uh, and it's a very very creative place Um, so um, I have witnessed people role changing what I experienced the most is the change from uh, runners being runners and then starting being assistant and then um, which is something a scary jump Uh, I haven't done it at Strongroom because I was like running and then doing crew work for other companies before I started as an assistant at Strongroom. So I haven't done it myself. But what I experienced, just like um, most of the studios nowadays, they, they all have like freelancers on their roster. So the jump from being a runner to starting being an assistant is always like a very, very scary jump because you pass from having like a fixed salary, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. uh, to being a freelance. So you're having to uh, procure your own work. Um, when you have like a few years on your back as a runner, then you make the jump and start becoming assisting, start start assisting on on sessions. This is probably a
1: good time. Just if I if I can stop you just there quickly, and um, so uh, runners reasonably well understood what that is. I mean, that's an entry level position and yeah. assistant. Could you kind of like draw some sort of uh, lines as best you can between between the responsibilities of those two different jobs?
2: So the runner first and foremost stays outside of the room most of the time compared to the assistant. So what the runner does, uh, make sure that all the studio, studios are reset, we have enough like cabling, everything is clean and tidy and helps maybe the technical department, takes deliveries and mails and makes, makes tea and <laughs>
1: So we could say, what does a runner do? What they're told.
2: Yes, pretty much. Yeah, I don't want to relegate the runner uh, solely to like an hospitality kind of position. Because many people say, oh, they do teas and coffees. But let's say that a little bit everyone makes teas and coffees. They do so much more. So I think the runners are the core of a recording studio. If you have a good runner, your session is going to run way smoothly, way more smoothly than other sessions. Because, you know, they... um, They're in charge of checking the list of the equipment that you need. Uh, So they bring all the equipment and microphones in the room. Uh, They put whatever doesn't work um, in, in, the technical department so it can get repaired so they have so many other responsibilities rather than making teas and coffees it's it's Uh, a good
1: point of just just because it's an entry-level position doesn't mean it's not important oh no
2: it's very absolutely vital absolutely vital so Um, julian was that the same
3: back in i don't want to say back in your day because that sounds rude (laughs) but
2: (laughs) did, did the runners
3: have a similar role
1: I mean a, a runner's has always been always been a, a, an entry level position. I mean it depends where you are because mm. basically there's there's this, there's a, a, a size and level of studio below which yeah, these exactly. these distinctions completely break down. Oh, yeah. uh, and yeah. it's just kind of like something needs to be done so, so someone's going to do it. But, I mean, the whole reason why you have additional stuff is because the scale of the job grows beyond a single person. Otherwise, why would you have that? Um, but, yeah, no, I think that's reasonably fixed.
3: Yeah. yeah. So, Ari, what is your role as a, an assistant engineer? How's that changed?
2: So, as an assistant engineer, now junior engineer, basically, uh, my role is to decide which equipment do I need according to the session. For instance, uh I don't need the same list of microphones or the same space or the same outboard if I'm recording like a full band or if I'm recording like, uh, just like a singer of there's a writing session. So my role as an assistant mm. is to decide which equipment do I need for every session to book it, to basically plug it in, in the studio, make sure that everything's work and everything is line check when the clients arrives. Mm-hmm. And then, um, as a junior engineer, then I will like sit down and engineer sessions, um, uh, depending on what the session is, obviously. So it might be a band, it might be bass, drums, it might be, uh, I don't know, just like a writing session again. So I have to run pro tools and then uh, file management. So what I yeah. find out just like half of the job is also like file management because being an assistant for like a couple of years now, I I learned how to use studios inside out. So mm. it's really easy for me to set up, to line check, make everything works, get a good sound out of the rooms. But then the next step when you're then approaching engineering more than being an assistant is that um, being fast on Pro Tools and having good file management. So yeah. um, export all the stems, learning the etiquette or how the stems are imported. For instance, I'll make an example. If I'm engineering a vocal session, when I'm sending off the files to whoever is mixing it or for the producer, um, I need to check with management, which, to which person the files are going to, then maybe I want to export the processed version and then I want to export the dry version. And Mm -hmm. then, again, in the recording part, I have to make sure they're recorded as close as I can as like a final product, a finished product. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there are all of these factors taking consideration and maybe... uh, (laughs) Uh, the genre as well that you're working on. I don't know, maybe if I'm recording a rock band, I would not make use of AutoTune <laughs> as heavy as I would do if I have a rapper coming in. You know, I love, yeah. It's a very, very wide, wide practice. And again, it depends in which studio I'm at, because uh, this is uh, what I've just mentioned is more applied to strong Room. When I'm a rack, I'm solely an assistant, but the rack has way bigger clients, a way bigger setup. So that means that my assisting implies engineering as well, if that makes sense. It's just like I'm yeah. more. you have more responsibility as an assistant because being like a bigger space. So you have to set up line check and get a good sound, kind of like make sure that everything is ready when the engineer comes into the room, that he just sit down, Mm. they just sit down and then start with the session. We spend it like the least amount of time uh, like sound checking and crafting the sound of the room, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah,
3: so it requires a lot of attention to detail. Yeah. 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 Also
2: knowing the space makes a difference. So like, I don't know, positioning the drum kit in a specific uh, corner of the room, compared to another or like using one room rather than the other for size or for sound so there are are a lot of factors it's a very very wide practice and that's why I love it because it keeps my attention high oh yeah
3: yeah I can imagine
1: (laughs) ever wondered what it's like to mix an entire album for Kanye or layering vocals for Chris Brown join your hosts Cash and G every fortnight as we sit down with some of your favourite artists producers and engineers to talk everything music brought to you by Avid Pro Tools that sounds great Okay, can, can, um, that was a, a very complete answer. So, thank you for that. Um, it was, um, um, I mean, the the runner, junior assistant, assistant, assistant. Well, uh, titles kind of may vary, but that um, you, we were really talking about progression there between roles. Do you think, or have you seen any examples of uh, of exactly what? what's involved in each of those roles changing in any way over time? So not the person changing from one role to another, but the role Mm. itself and the expectations around that role changing.
2: I mean, I think the role of the engineer has changed a lot Mm. um, because... It is, it, this is going to work against me as well. <laughs> I think the engineer, as the traditional sense of being an engineer, is less and less required compared to uh, other times uh, because there are like most of the music nowadays is made in laptops. Mm. So um, yeah. you have many engineers that come into the studio that are more like uh, operating on Pro Tools or just like producer engineers. So they're engineers, but they're producing as well which personally is uh, what the progression that I want to do. Just being like a producer engineer, more than producing into my laptop, being the producer in the studio and just like use the studio as a tool of production. That makes sense? Which is very old school, so I don't know if it's going to work up. Oh, Um, interesting.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm one of those annoying producer... Engineers. I mean, I wouldn't consider myself an engineer in in the sense that you are because I don't have that sort of hands-on, you know, assistant experience. But I, I produce and I go into studios and then I sort of just, you know, put in my hard drive and set up and I usually have someone assisting me as well with the gear or something. Um, so, yeah, I can see how that would be evolving and there'll be less need for, you know, miking up uh, various yeah. things and setting up desks and stuff like that. Um, but I've also noticed as well the, the role of the mix engineer and the kind of idea that we can fix things in the mix has really, um, I think it's changed over, as long as I've been working, I often find that uh, people rely on the mix engineer to do a lot of the mm. things that aren't necessarily the job of a mix engineer and we did have a, a podcast about that um, a few months ago, didn't we Julian, about, um, I think we, we called it Fix It In The Mix. I believe we I'm... did.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's a conversation that I try to have with <clears throat> many artists that I work for. Just like try to get the sound that you want right away from the recording and the production stage because the mixing engineer is not is not Jesus Christ. It's not going to fix your mistakes. <laughs> so um, for instance, if you want to record the piano and the cello and the bass, make sure that each one of these instruments, when you record it and when you produce it's going to travel in the frequency band that you want it, like to sound when you hear the song when you when you get it mixed if that makes sense oh yeah because Absolutely. I cannot record like a piano really really dark and then have it to sit in the high spectrum of the frequencies I cannot as a mixer create frequencies that, that do not exist mm. so well that's a good point and the yeah. raw material needs
3: to be there right um, yeah but things yeah. like timing as well and even tuning things like that that should have been done at least in the recording engineering stage or in the production stage people often think oh well you know just send it to the the mix engineer they'll do all of it but that is not the job of a mix engineer and um, i don't know if you see that happen a lot with the people you work with or
2: yeah i think it depends from the experience of the producer as well Uh, whoever is producing the track because I think like um more experienced producer have a clear idea on how on how that works. Uh I tend to not ask people to like tune vocals themselves if they can. I can tune it when I'm mixing uh, some tracks just because it, maybe they don't have melody, they don't have like professional tools at their hands. Um so yeah, it depends. It really depends.
3: Mm. Mm. And but, I mean, I've been in the studio with, uh, I mean, I say experienced, but they are uh, technically um, successful beatmakers, producers who do sort of just record or they send uh, the artist off to record somewhere else. They don't really oversee the the whole production and they're still credited as a, as a producer. But it's, it's been the engineers and the, the mixer that's done a lot of the production work in terms of vocals and, you know, uh, tidying things up. So that could be an interesting conversation to have as well in terms of, you know, What is a beatmaker versus a producer? Because there was an article, I think Russ wrote it about, um, you know, what the role of producer should be, or at least what it used to be, compared to to now as well.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, here we're coming to a a subject that comes up over and over again, Um, and yeah, I mean, that's definitely. Uh, definitely a, a term that's changed its meaning over the time, and it, I think it's something of a it's kind of like a generational divide as well. It's one of those watersheds of kind of how you view that word. The most interesting conversation I've I've had about this recently was there was a podcast we did. I forget how long ago, where um, where we were talking to vocal producers. And um, there's been quite a few conversations online about about the vocal producer because it's, I mean, to some people it's it's kind of a new term. But having spoken to some people who do that work, um, I kind of got it. You know, I I saw why the why a word for that became necessary with the proliferation of shall I call them track producers to differentiate them from record producers, possibly, but the new and the Mm. old school. Uh, producers I, I kind of got it where you needed you know a new I term. think like
2: beat makers they're also more uh, focused on certain genres of music so you can find a beat maker in trap hip hop um, kind of like pop music. So they work on on that genre mainly. And I think for me, the main difference between a beatmaker and a producer, just the beatmaker make the beats and the producers oversee the whole project. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it's a a very simple uh, difference, although both are valid
3: Absolutely, yeah. But the beat the beat maker has taken part in the songwriting process. The producer doesn't necessarily have to take part in the yeah. you know instrumentation and stuff like that. But they although do again
2: nowadays everything is so blurred, in the you can have a session where like there's five people and everyone <laughs> has a part in the production process or in the songwriting process. So just like I think nowadays the lines are really blurred of, of yes, what is absolutely. what. Yeah, it's really hard to define.
3: Um in terms of so how going back to the uh vocal producer because I've have worked with uh vocal producers before as well how would you define it Julian how have you seen it uh How, how would
1: I, I I wouldn't define it <laughs> Oh right okay people, okay I would refer people to the uh to the um uh to the podcast that we did that um uh, I, I wish I could remember remember precisely what the uh what the title of that one was but it was a great podcast really interesting and I mean, I suppose what it is is... I mean, like... There's a conversation we had recently, Cher, about um, mm. you, were, you were talking about um, uh, the fact that, you know, while you use drums, you d- you don't typically point, point collections of microphones at drum kits. No. That's not how your drums come to you. Absolutely And, not. and that's a whole kind of... I mean, whereas it's complete, you know, pushing my way to the front on jobs like that, it's the most fun you can have. But it's... um. Uh, with certain ways of making recordings these days, these skills don't get used as much as they often are, so sometimes it leaves kind of, uh, um, potentially, uh, uh, a, a skills gap ready to be filled by someone who's willing to to occupy, mm. and that's mm. what I see the vocal producer as of kind of like, look, this stuff doesn't happen so much that that somebody who uh, calls himself an engineer might m- might typically do, but this other stuff over here with vocals has become really, really, really important, yeah. and the nature of it's changed, and I'm um, just the amount of work that goes into vocal production these days, rather than I'll just you know stick a, stick up an eighty eighty seven and, and and a pop shield and it'll be fine. It's kind of it's I have
2: a... so much respect for vocal producers I had the chance to uh, assist a strong room a couple of times Cameron who worked with uh, I think Dua Lipa Cam was on
1: Cam was on yeah. th- that podcast
2: yeah Cam is absolutely brilliant and the way that he like arranged the vocal is like a vocal arranger and then all the different effects uh, I've learned so much when I've done sessions uh, with that person and I have so much respect for vocal producer uh, also like Ramira she's a very very talented vocal producer and like the talent is arranging vocals yeah. as they they are like an instrument and then learning how to match different effects like different kind of reverbs different kind of like delays I've I read it somewhere that someone said that different effects are like different patterns so if you're good at matching them together properly you look amazing and then in our case you sound amazing but then if you don't match them properly it can be like a huge mess mm. so <laughs> it's a talent to find the, like the right effect that fits the aesthetic of that song and then like EQing the effects and mixing the effects and arranging the vocals. So... Absolute respect.
3: But it's not just an engineering thing that they do as well because, you know, um, other vocal producers, they they take the role of um, vocal coach as well and songwriter. A lot of them are songwriters, so they can actually coach the artist um, in terms of mic technique, how to sing things, harmonies as well, um, and just, just help with the overall expression of the performance. So it's kind of a, a weird line between... You know, knowing how to, the recording techniques, vocal coaching, songwriting, and also engineering as well. Um, at least that's been my experience in terms of working with uh, vocal producers.
2: Yeah, that's another field where like all the different positions blurred and you do like a kind of mix of everything <laughs> that you just mentioned and then you're a vocal producer. Just like nowadays in 2023, there's no way to define like a just one position, just one role. You have to Take knowledge from other roles as well that are similar to what you're doing. If, if that makes sense,
1: I've I've looked it up and I, it was uh, June 2022. The title was Vocal Production Special, and uh, it was Cam and it was Daniel Moiler. That's who we had on. Okay, and, cool. Uh, and yes, it's, it's well worth a listen. Actually, that one I remember it well because it was it was so interesting. But yeah, anyway, a bit plug for a, for our a, a podcast on our podcast. How you...
0: <laughs> anyway. Achoria has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects, called the AudioFuse Creative Suite, is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Visit achoria.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use.
3: Um, but another thing as well which is another plug for uh, a post on the uh, blog which is um, Bob Clear Mountain who says that often people uh, confuse the terms stems and multitracks and I've heard that a lot Um, confused so uh, obviously we know what multitracks are Um, but I think a lot of artists as well they hear the term stems and they think that's what they need and it can be confusing when you're sort of sending off to mixing and that sort of thing Um, but are there any other terms that you hear commonly misused Ari?
2: I mean I am guilty myself to have confused stems and multitrack until I was corrected last year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh interesting Um, who corrected you?
1: It Um, wasn't Bob was it? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no it wasn't Bob unfortunately so I think one one conversation that I had like recently on tour about these like being a front of house sound engineer and a tech like
1: oh, a tech engineer I, I've, I've been so, called a technician I, when I've been yeah. out oh, it's like who uh, who me Re-
2: respect for all the tech but I'm not a tech um I was like I'm the front of house I mix the band and that's the only thing that I do um and I think like sometimes um that That's the last thing that I've heard misused uh in my life, and just like calling a tech uh sound tech so sound tech is usually the person that looks after the venue and the really small venues and stuff and usually the sound engineer is the person that travels with the band or just like makes the band
1: although i've I have had it put to, me, and I've got sympathy for this that the job that we do isn't being an engineer, and I was kind of like actually. I've, I, I don't want to agree with you, but I kind of like, you know, because if you if you talk to people um, who work in other other fields of engineering, I kind of I start to think, oh, actually, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't really
3: cut it. It's yeah. not really that engineering, is it? If you think about it, it's more <laughs> of a sort of. Uh... I
2: mean, just because we don't like have physics formulas every time that we engineer, that's like some. Like tiny level of engineering, like considering the acoustic of a room, and mm. then like the distance of the microphone from the snare, and just like this is low key engineering. Of course, again, we're not like studying physics, mm. although someone. Yeah,
1: does. My, my my thing probably <laughs> yeah. is, is just is just that if if anyone deserves the title of being a sound engineer, it's the people designing the gear, not the people using it. But um, we should we should. I mean, this is this is probably a good time to move on to, uh, to talking about there was a, there was an article recently uh that russ wrote oh yes, which was which is it's was good solid russ content actually as we said and uh, it was uh um uh, it's none of your business how people choose to make music and it was um it was kind of riling slightly at the railing is that the right word um about um uh, people perhaps paying more attention to the process of record making than it necessarily credits once you get outside of that world and you know have you ever met anybody who's really that interested in what microphone you use to record a piece of music that they enjoy who isn't directly involved in
3: it i mean it kind of ties into that real music debate and i've had very angry debates with people about real music um but can i just quote russ from the article because i really like what he says in this is just a very small mm-hmm. um, part it says music in its most primal form is an expression of human emotion and thought yeah. the means how this expression is achieved should not be the yardstick for its authenticity and I completely agree I think that playing a guitar a bass line on a guitar versus a bass line that's been programmed into a DAW is still a bass line and surely it's like the melody that dictates whether something is good or not
1: yeah I mean I'll stop right? you there because is that is that bass player using a pick or not because <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly
2: it's that amazing that you picked out the same sentence that really stuck with me mm. yeah the, the fact that music is an expression of human emotion and thought like as a very emotional person that moves through the world through emotion i think that music is a language and yeah. has to transmit something and however it does it um, i'm not sure how much it matters um, I mean, there are so many examples on people that have done great records with a 57. That doesn't mean that if you have great tools at your hand, you should not use it, be Absolutely my guess. Not. But just like many, many people don't have access to high end studios, that doesn't mean they're not creative, they don't have anything to say, and their, their practice is not valid as maybe people that can sit down in a studio. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Yeah.
3: And I know a lot of, um, again, maybe they would be um, beat makers, but very successful producers and beat makers who cannot play an instrument for the life of them. And they've had really successful records. They're really creative. They're really good at what they do. So I just, I really don't like this sort of um, snobbery in terms of uh, the sort of real music debate and I feel quite strongly about it personally. Yeah.
2: I mean I believe the truth is always in the middle because um, the snobbery can come from both sides. Oh yeah. yeah. So there are people that are like oh I don't need to play an instrument or no music theory to make good music or the other person is like oh you only need to play an instrument and no music theory to make good music. It's just like perhaps the truth is in the middle oh, <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe you need a little bit of this and a little bit of that and what really matters is your taste and what you want to communicate as an artist or as a producer and um, the role of a producer in this case, it's also like giving, being a tool for the artist to express themselves. Maybe the artist knows only how to sing and how to write lyrics and it's someone that takes care of the music in his entirety. Mm. So sometimes the producer is also a mean and a tool for the artist to express themselves. So... Um it's, it's nice to have a combination of both, I don't know, analog and digital uh, outboard. So the, the, the truth is always in the middle. It's, we have technology. It's only fair that we use it. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm gonna throw away uh, 50 grand new VR desk if I use it and if I have it in front of me. But it's just like it's not gonna compromise how good of a producer of an artist or, or of a musician I am if yeah. I don't have that tool. If that yeah, makes sense. I think
3: we just need to focus on the music and the quality of the art, not how it's been done. You know, if yeah. it's there's, good, it's good. Basically, the most
1: wonderful quote that I heard the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, uh, I met up with Mike Exeter, and uh, Mike's always good value for stuff like this. And we were talking about we were talking about all sorts of things actually. But at one point, he was he was saying that um, uh, audiophiles are the worst person, uh, worst people to to listen to music because when you play a piece of music to an audiophile, they're listening to the equipment, but they rarely listen to the music. And that's a really good distinction and i I totally get that I understand it completely <laughs> of just kind of like um that look of look of bewilderment that you'll get from somebody who's actually engaged with the music and what it's doing and to be honest, would have the same response if it were being played on an iPhone in an empty pint glass than they would in, you know, um, 100000 thousand pound you know, um, audio file system. It's kind of like, yeah, it's still the same stuff. It's like arguing about what font a fantastic piece of writing's written in. It's like, Mm. you know, it's... it's, Sure, that stuff makes a difference, but it doesn't change it.
0: The Production Expert Podcast is made possible using Source Connect Now from Source Elements, the free way to record high-quality audio over the internet. Need to record an interview or a podcast like this one remotely? With Source Connect Now, you can. Using a Chrome browser, you'll get ISDN-equivalent quality audio without the need to install any additional software. Register for your free account at now.source-elements.com.
2: I noticed a trend uh, among some of my friends that are non-music makers, that have nothing to do with music, so I don't know, they work in insurance, in finance, or in art, and there's this trend among people to buy very high-quality sound systems, Just like, and they ask me, oh, can you hear the difference between this and that? And I said exactly what you said, just like, you're listening to the equipment that <laughs> you're not listening to music. Also, they have such tiny differences that most of the human hearing cannot recognize, especially if you don't work in music. So Mm. although there's this trend on investing and buying uh, very high quality like vinyl players and hi-fi system and Dolby house system I've seen recently as well. Uh, it's becoming really trendy. Mm. So,
3: but I think there's a time and a place for being able to detect the sonic qualities of something, and I think that's important. And we need to aspire to get that—you know—the best quality audio possible. But the actual, the listeners, really, the majority of listeners, aren't really going to care.
1: I, I, I and and neither should they. But that doesn't no. mean that what what we spend our time doing doesn't have value.
3: Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Because they probably they, they can hear the quality of the audio. They just can't sort of detect how they can hear it, you know, that's another thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure people, you know, is it a debate? Could they really hear through, I think we spoke about this uh, last week again, can, can the audience hear through a bad mix? You know, or are we so accustomed to really great-sounding records that they'd hear something wrong and not know exactly what it
2: is. For some reason, only A and R's can recognise a bad mix.
3: Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, that was another topic. Yeah. <laughs>
1: with, the, with this, but I mean, this is this is um, I suppose. Uh, tied into the conversation, what well, I forget how recently we're having this conversation about um, uh, about the the importance to get past the skip button. I wrote I wrote an article about it not that long ago, mm. uh, but th- just the fact that the skip button exists affects um, affects the process of record making. But once people have engaged with what you're doing, that stuff falls away. But if if one thing sounds more exciting than the next then it stands more chance of making it through those first few seconds where so many people go, nah, skip.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I personally tend to listen to records because I like to have the music there and maybe, I don't know, I'm reading a book, painting, I'm doing other stuff around the house and then maybe using playlists which has more this skip kind of mentality to discover new music Mm. more than having like mixed playlists to listen daily. Uh, but that's my personal
1: taste. To be fair, I, I, I mean it's the fact that it's so much more difficult to to stop something. I mean, it's not it's not difficult, you know. What I mean, but it requires more effort. It's all it takes, actually. The thing I find, um, if I'm if I'm streaming stuff, is that very often I find that I listen to something that I might otherwise have have skipped just because I'm doing something like the washing up. And I can't actually, you know what I mean. Oh, you hand, can't reach for the It's, skip it's, a, it's a very button, trivial, yeah. silly thing. There's a tea towel right there, you know. But it's like, <laughs> no, go with it. And I've discovered some quite nice things like that. It's like, slow it down. Um, we've gone slightly off topic, actually, which is which is completely allowed. Um, but bringing it bringing oh, yeah. it back to um, uh, back to studio roles and terminology and, and definitions and stuff. I mean, I am interested in um, the difference. <laughs> it's slightly misappropriating studio roles because we were talking about. People's roles within studios but you were talking about the difference between um uh between uh strong room and rack for example yeah. and and that those different is there something that you could kind of you know um maybe what uh what it is about those studios that because i mean um the they're,
2: they're both they're both amazing they're both
1: good studios yeah. but they're they it sounds like they're um, fulfilling different roles
2: yeah the different sizes i think um, so they have different size of clients that they work with, uh, and then I I've just started a rack, so I don't I don't think I have enough knowledge to formulate like a completely formed opinion. Mm. Uh, but what I saw, it just like it's um, like the size is bigger of setups of clients and just like the the way. Uh, that the work goes is more a traditional kind of like uh, hierarchy as well. So they have engineer, assistant, a runner in most of the sessions. Uh, while like strong room, it's more independent kind of working. Um, so, yeah, those are the main differences that I can do, think do of. Do you still
3: yeah. have those producers that come in with their laptops and don't require, you know, the traditional engineering at rack, Or is that something... Less, way less. less so. Okay. Way,
2: way, way less. Um, I think they prefer, um, like, a smaller and more kind of, um, yeah, smaller studios for, for writing. mm um yeah
3: so what and, kind of work do you tend to get at rack then? Is it sort of the large um music yeah large or? big
2: live sessions, big recording sessions, like records uh like week long kind of projects um while a strong room is more one offs yeah, and then yeah, sometimes I work with my clients as well as strong room, so I like to. Uh, Grab emerging artists and then sit down in the studio and produce like a track without having um, the pressure of big budget that has to come uh, from like a big record label, if that makes sense. Uh, Which is, I think it's one of the strongest points of Strongroom as well, because they give space uh, for up and coming artists to create and to access uh, very uh, like high end kind of recording studio without having the pressure of... um, needing the funds from uh like a very very big label nice
3: yeah i mean strong room the ambience is really nice it's very conducive to sort of um creativity and writing sessions as well and and just the you know the kind of vibe that i would i I like myself personally
1: and and different sizes of facility offering offering to different parts of the market of course makes sense i mean you you know um the 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 really big rooms in london you wouldn't you wouldn't hire for something that didn't require a room that big because you know that would be just silly yeah yeah it's, it's an interesting middle ground
0: rspe audio solutions design sell and install professional audio and video equipment their team are available by phone live chat or email to receive and process orders they have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio to ensure you can continue to work from home If there is anything they can do to help, reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com.
1: Um, I'm quite aware that we're sort of we're starting to run slightly towards long and if we were to uh if we were to go to find of the week now, it'd give us time to time to discuss what's over there. So what say you we go to find of the week?
3: Let's. So um Ari, what's your find of the week?
2: Oh, you go first. <laughs> because we had like <laughs> we an did...
3: intro that Oh sure, sure. Yeah. Um okay. That mine is honestly It goes back to me not being much of a foodie, but um, so I've recently purchased a NutriBullet blender, um, so it can blend hot and cold, um, foods, um, nuts and ice, everything really, it's really uh, powerful. Um, but I really like, there's um, in, in terms of winter, I really like making soups, vegetable soups and that sort of thing. Uh, just throw in a bunch of vegetables and add some, you know, chilli powder or something like that. Pumpkin soup's really nice. Um, but I also really like um, a banana, spinach, avocado, kiwi, uh, some oat milk, and that's really good because I find it, when I'm working, it's quite difficult to sit and, you know, prepare food it's so and so healthy.
2: Oh my God. Yeah.
3: And I, d- I really need to get my nutrients in because, you know, I I work long hours and I really don't particularly take care of myself enough. So I've I've decided to do that and try and get more nutrients. And um, as Julian knows very well, I'm not a brilliant cook. Um, I'm not particularly interested in cooking. That sounds so bad.
1: (laughs) You just don't know how to treat eggs properly.
3: (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so lazy. I'm such a lazy cook. But, um, yeah, this is very good, the Nutribullet blender. So I can, I can see myself using that a lot. Um, Julian, what was your uh, find of the week?
1: You're not getting away with it that quickly. What? We need to pull apart what you... <laughs> no, I oh don't no. know if we want to go down the rabbit hole of the food thing. I mean, I... Uh, mine's, mine's... I haven't actually tried this. I'm, I'm, I'm not in a position to try it, really. But um, it's PSP Oral Comp. And uh, this is something that you know I've been expecting. It's the first of a of a category of product that I've been expecting. But what, if others exist, I haven't noticed them yet. This is um, the equivalent of a bus compressor, but for immersive mixing. Oh, and um, and yeah, oh. I mean it's 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 pretty straight ahead. Um, uh, Mark, um, uh, whose uh, whose studio I was at uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, is an Atmosphere music mixer. Um, he's had a look at that for us, and uh, he's he's finished looking at it. So that should be on the site by the time this uh this sees uh, sees the light of day
3: yeah i see they've nicknamed they've nicknamed it avocado for some reason any idea I th-
1: why i i, I th- that rings a bell now you say that actually which uh you know i mean ties in very nicely with your bullet i suppose oh it certainly does yeah but, um, no, and, and what it is i mean uh, the way it works is that you know while there isn't any kind of like summing point as such for uh, for uh, an atmos mix um, what you what you can do is you can um uh, dis- route control signals to each other so that lots, all of the uh all of the uh, compressors across individual objects and and uh channels um, all get that in- interdependence that a, a bus compressor lends through basically a ton of side chains and uh, I, I assume that's how it works. If it doesn't, then I'd be very interested to see how it does work, and I'd be able to find out just by checking out that article that, uh, that Mark did. But he, he had listened to it, and he he was um, tried on some stuff, and he was, he was very enthused by it, and he, was, he thought it was a good product. And I expect we'll see quite a few more things like this because it's something that's mm. been very much missing with you know the Dol- uh, Dolby Atmos for music is kind of you know people like uh, people people like bus processing people who mix music they're used to it. And, uh, you know, while you don't have to muller stuff with uh, heavy limiting and stuff, uh, it's not the same thing is as it? you shouldn't be allowed to try if that's what exactly. you want to it's do. Exactly. It's always
2: fun. To, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everything that sounds good works. Yeah. That's the
1: rule. Uh, it's, it's a good rule for everything. So, um, uh, Ari, what about you? you um...
2: Oh, My finding of the week is very boring, guys. You
1: can't be
3: more boring sorry. than my Nutribullet, surely. <laughs>
2: So I've been like reading about this uh, Italian painter called Amedeo Modigliani. Because say that um, again. Sorry, w- say that again. That
3: was great. Amedeo Modigliani. Fantastic.
2: Yeah. So basically, my when I went to high school, I studied uh, art languages to like I don't know, be a tourist guide and stuff. Uh, and then I was working in an art and ceramic gallery. And I heard this name so many times, but I never investigated who this guy is. Um, and then I don't know. This week I'm finding myself like reading about him, and then watching like his painting. He's been famous by. Um these surreal faces, necks and figure and nudes. But the peculiar thing that really struck me is the fact that in all of his paintings, none of the women of the people that he painted have eyes apart from when he's painting his wife.
3: And I think it's very cute. Is that some sort of
2: uh, weird kind
3: of way of saying that he only has eyes for his wife?
2: Probably. I don't know yet. I haven't investigated that, further, that far, but I found it like really, really interesting the fact that he doesn't paint anyone's eyes apart from his uh, wife. Um, well,
3: that sounds lovely, to be honest. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so um, I assume like all the nudes that he painted, the one that he painted just like with the eyes, it's his wife. So just like it's just me. Um, like making assumption on his paintings. Oh, I'm and,
1: just checking yeah. out a portrait. That's been Pablo my Picasso. week. Okay. What a life. <laughs> what,
2: a life. <laughs> what a life.
3: Yeah, Pablo Picasso. Yeah. So I, I need to look at what oh. he's. Uh... I'm, just, I'm
1: just on Wikipedia, but I've, I've managed to track it down. So uh, yeah, excellent. Well, that's no, that's an interesting one, and uh, and it's 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 nice to kind of widen. Widen the uh, uh, the scope away from uh, what I saw on telly this week, or a new plugin I got, which is kind of very much exactly. stock and yeah. fair. <laughs> okay.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm personally trying to like go back and using like art as another form of being creative because now I'm like it's three years that I work full time in music, and music has always been like my my way of like processing uh, anything like. Uh, Uh, But being my full-time job, sometimes I come back home and I'm tired of listening to music or doing music or working on music, even though it's the it's the most important thing in my life so I decided to circle back to um, like 10 years ago when I was studying art and then I was doing like little paintings and mm, stuff or
3: even and spoken word it. as well like I use yeah. um, sometimes I'm tired of listening to music but I like listening to sort of audio books and, and things like that just to keep my mind away from a- analysing music you know sometimes I can overanalyze things um, yeah
2: yeah. You, I, sometimes you lose vision absolutely just like, yeah. oh, I love this song but the bass is too high exactly too, too much in the high frequency just like you not know, that let's do completely something <laughs> else that is creative but is something absolutely. else absolutely
3: i went to the tate i don't often go to art galleries really but um i went to the tate last weekend and it was quite nice actually i was just trying to experience the um there's some really really good artwork in there even if it you know it doesn't i don't even have to read what it's about but just visually it just looks really really nice i've, I've never been a sort of arty person i certainly can't paint, but um, I, I can certainly admire artwork. Yeah.
2: And I like the quiet of the art galleries, which is such like a big contrast um, from like the life that I live between studios. I like being on tour. So I've been on tour with a picture parlor for one month and a half. Yeah, that's really cool. And just like (laughs) when I came back, I needed at least a week of isolation to recharge socially. I don't blame you. And just going to to exhibitions where it's very calm and very quiet uh, has been really, really recharging for me. Wonderful.
3: Julian, are you an art fan? Man.
1: Well, I mean, I, my partner's a visual artist, so, um, oh, so it's kind of, Amazing, of it's kind is, of compulsory, yeah. to be honest. I mean, I've 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 ligged plenty of uh, um, <laughs> free glasses of, of, of wine at private views in my time. So, you know, yes,
3: she I, she does a lot of um, paintings of the sea, right? And um, no, is that I've,
1: right? I mean, yes, that has mm-hmm. happened. But uh, but the, but um, um, the principal thing these days is is actually uh, is actually food
3: oh food oh well
1: massive fish lovely uh, fish yeah is, i've seen i've this seen is, a this fish is painting a, this is a link with a restaurant so yeah absolutely yeah it's kind of
2: what's your favorite artist julian oh,
1: oh dear i don't know if i've got i don't know if i i've got a, a convincing answer to that one well i mean her obviously apart from the <laughs> <your laughs> partner oh, was allowed yes. to say you're not allowed <laughs> yeah. to say your partner because you're biased um uh, uh, um i i quite like i do quite like sculpture actually and um, uh, was it Benini? It's amazing. Uh, Grindling Gibbons, wood carver. That's incredible, but that kind of like incredible detail that people do. The kind of stuff where you look at it and you go, that looks like something, someone, someone, someone would 3D print, but that was done with a chisel um, many, many, many years ago and uh, it definitely not been anywhere near CAD. So, you know, um, but that's me being overly techie again. Um, anyway, no, we, 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 we need to um, wind things up because that's all we have time for this week. But thank you very much for, uh, for, to share and, and to Ari. And uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Production Expert podcast.